You're listening to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. If you're looking for some encouragement, words of hope, and maybe a laugh or two, that's exactly what Richard wants to share with you today. We know life can get pretty busy and complicated, so we're truly grateful you've chosen to take a break and listen to the program. Now, if you're not able to hang out with us for the entire program, you can always pick it back up at our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, you can find all of Richard's talks right there waiting just for you, richardellistalks.com. So, with today's talk, here's Richard Ellis. Today's message is pure profit, and I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. And he's a guy that lived kind of seven, 800 B.C.-ish. And I'm not going to give you too much background on him today, but to say that he was the kind of guy that had impact on a number of kings. In fact, he was kind of cousin to some of these kings that lived back then. And he interacted and was the guy that God used to go and speak to these kings about what was going on. And the message that he took is laid out in Isaiah chapter 1 through chapter 5. And for some reason, he decides in chapter 6 to kind of go back and describe his call and where his life changed and what happened when it did change. And I want to start in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. And one of these kings that Isaiah spoke to and was involved with was a guy named King Uzziah. And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it starts out by saying this, In the year that King Uzziah died, so he dates the time of this, he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now something happened to Isaiah that doesn't happen to many people, and there's a number of these instances recorded in the Scriptures, but he had what we called a theophany, and it is a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ or God appearing, manifesting himself physically, unlike the incarnation when Christ came and lived and stayed with us. This is where God can reveal himself, and it's not just a vision or a dream. It's like literally if you're laying in the bed at night and all of a sudden you look up and Jesus is standing at the end of your bed, that would be described as a theophany. Now, it's never happened to me. I know people who have said that it's happened to them. I can't disprove that. It happened to Isaiah, though, and it had such an unbelievable impact, you'll see, not just on his life, but it changed the world around him. But he says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. So he saw God on a throne. He was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And basically what that means is just his robe alone, the train of it. Like if you see a wedding, a bride that comes down, it's kind of like you can measure whether a a bride spent a lot of money by the train on the back of her veil or something. You know, if the train's long, it's a big time wedding. If it's a little train, yeah, no big deal. But God's got a big train, obviously. And this train of his robe literally filled the temple. And this is where it starts to get good if it hadn't yet. Verse 2. Above it, above this throne, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. Now these seraphim, a seraph, literally it means burning one. And it's a, these are angelic beings who are found around the throne of God. And if you look at this description of the Ark of the Covenant, there are two seraphs that are on top of that, carved in gold to protect that. But these are real live animals, and they have six wings. And it is amazing here to me, if you see what's going on, they have six wings, but each one only flew with two. 
With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. Now, why is that? Why, if you have six wings, do you not use all six wings? And I think they could, and they probably did usually. But these seraphim, if you can, there's no way to even imagine this, really. One day we'll see it and we'll know it. But this throne, and God himself on a throne, and there are these beings, these celestial beings, these angelic beings that are flying back and forth. Two wings, they're flying. Two, they cover their eyes. And two, they cover their feet. Why? Because they are in the presence of an almighty God. It is such a holy place. They have to cover their eyes and they cover their feet. And they fly with two wings and protect themselves from his holiness. And not only do they protect themselves and only fly with two wings, verse 3, and one cried to another and said, now imagine this, the throne of God, there's God on this throne, these beings are flying back and forth, and this is what these angels cry out to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy. There is no more holy place anywhere in the universe than right there in the throne room where God himself is seated and these angelic beings fly back and forth. There's an old hymn that you may have sung as a kid. Have you ever heard it? Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Early in the morning, our song shall rise to you. There's a bunch of verses to it, but it starts out with that three, that triple holy, holy, holy. And it's one of those things that doesn't get pointed out a whole lot nowadays But our God is not just an awesome God. He is a holy God. That means he cannot be touched with sin. There is no sin found in him. And one of the reasons, if you read the scriptures, when Jesus died on the cross, the reason a holy God had to turn his back on his son is because his son had taken on all of our sin. And when that sin hit his son, God could not look on that sin, on that unrighteousness. He had to turn his back because he is holy. So Isaiah sees God on his throne, these angelic beings, and he hears them cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. The whole place shakes, fills up with smoke, and somehow Isaiah realizes he's not just seeing God, but this place where he sees God is shaken, filled with smoke, and he is in the presence of an almighty God. Now, the reason I'm reading this today to you is this. I want you to see something that happens to you. If you ever see this God, and you say, well, I've never had a theophany. I've never seen God. I don't think this will ever happen to me. I don't think you have to see him physically to know that he's here. You can be in a room like this. You can be at home in a closet somewhere praying. You can be kneeling by your bed. You can be in the car driving to work, and you be aware of the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying I live in a full-time, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week awareness of God's presence, goosebumps, seeing things and feeling all this excitement. But there are times in my life when the presence of God is so real, you think he's right there in the room. You know why? Because he is. And you're aware of his holiness. You're aware that the whole earth is filled with his glory. There are certain days when I go outside, you know, you just get outside on a certain kind of day and the birds are singing, the sun's shining, you look around and you go, man, God made all this stuff. Our God is an awesome God. He is a holy God. He's an incredible God. And you start thinking about it and it just kind of gets all over you. You praise him. You don't have to be in church to worship and praise God. You can be anywhere. You can be driving and be at home, be at work. Just do it a little more quietly if you're going to do it at work. You can be anywhere and be aware of who he is. Once Isaiah sees God for who he is, then something happens to Isaiah. And it happens in verse 5. 
Once he had seen God, so I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now what happens to you? People are fine until they see God. You know, the old, I'm okay, you're okay. I got it all figured out. I'm a pretty good person. I don't hurt anybody. I don't really, you know, I'm nice to people. I give some money to charity. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good woman. And you think you're okay because compared to somebody else, maybe you really are okay. But compared to God, we're nobody. And you realize you're completely undone. You have unclean lips. You live amongst a people of unclean lips. That What they speak about, what they say. And I don't know what's happened in TV today, but it's happened. If you can go into a movie and you can watch TV and hear someone take God's name in vain, guys, something's wrong. And I've sat through some movies and put up with it. But I don't want to be insensitive. I don't want to be able to hear. I don't want you using my mother's name to cuss, so I don't want you using my God's name to cuss either. And I don't have to listen to it. And there are conversations I have with people where these words will be used. You can use the F word and use any words you want to use, but you start using God's name and Jesus Christ and saying that God has damned this or that, I will politely and gently tell you to please not use those words around me because I take it personally. When you find out who he is, you start figuring out who you are and who you're not and what kind of world you live in. And you say, God, I'm in trouble. We're in trouble. We can't make it without you. And when God reveals himself to someone or people start seeing the condition of their life and they say, I am in trouble and I have screwed my life up and and I need forgiveness, I need something to change, they start looking for God and the more they see God, the more they see who they are and who they're not and they cry out to him. But he says here, woe is me for I'm undone. I'm a mess because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I've seen God. He's in trouble. Because he realizes as holy as God is, the holier he sees God to be, the more unholy he realizes that he is and how desperate his need is. Now something amazing happens here in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. This seraph had gone, there's an altar, and if you read in the Old Testament, there was the temple, the holy place, the holy of holies, there's a sacrificial system, there was an altar where sacrifices were offered and burned, and the sacrifice would burn and fall through onto these coals on the altar. And in heaven, there is literally a place like this. This seraphim went, with, took the tongs from the altar, took a coal, and flew to Isaiah, and took that coal and touched his lip. Now, what did that symbolize? It doesn't just symbolize something. It actually happened. Verse 7, And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Isaiah sees God. He realizes he's a mess. And God knows what he's thinking and what's going on. Then this seraph comes with these tongs and this coal, touches his lips, and declares to him, Behold, this is touch your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. What does he say? You're forgiven. Now, I'm discovering more and more every day, I think, when I talk to people. There are people in this room, people listening to me today, if you stood up and you said, you know what, one of my biggest challenges is the stuff I've done in my past. I need forgiveness of sin. I've screwed up my life. I've got stuff stacked so high in my past. I've got closets, rooms, basements in my house full of junk. 
and there's no way that God or anybody can get them out of my life. There's no way God could forgive me. And you have seen who God is, and because of that, you've seen who you are. But guys, there's more to it than that. There's something beyond that. God didn't just say, well, here I am, and there you are, and too bad, you're in a heap of trouble. He says, here I am, there you are, and the whole point of the gospel is that we would never make it to God. He said, you'll never make it to me. I'll come to you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly, the scripture says. So God came to us. He lived, he died on the cross, was buried, raised from the dead in order to pay our way and make it a free gift. If we will take it, say thank you, or say no thank you and reject it, which seems highly, almost impossible in my thinking, to understand and have some gift like this offered. But God offers, not symbolically or like the seraphim did, God comes in the person of his son, sacrifice himself, and offers this forgiveness of sins that's talked about here. Verse 7 then again, he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. You're clean. Verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, now this is a very interesting verse. Now God speaks, whom shall I send? And then he changes the preposition here, the pronouns. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? How do you start out saying, whom shall I send and then turn, who will go for us? Who's talking here? It's the God of the universe, but it's not just him. It's all three of them. He says, whom will I send? It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And who will go for us? That's where the us comes from. God says to Isaiah, he asks a general question. He says, who shall we send and who will go for us? Then Isaiah spoke up and said what? Here am I, send me. Now I read you this story today for this reason. I believe that there are plenty of people out there that God, if you started at the end, would love to hear, here am I, send me. God, I'll go. God, I'll do it, whatever you want me to do. Why is it that more people don't go? Why is it that more people aren't sent? Why is it that more people don't get it and don't take it out there in order to give it away? If you back into this, I think you discover why. People aren't willing to go or be sent a lot of times because they don't think they're worthy. And they don't think they're worthy because they're sinners and they need forgiveness. And if they've not been forgiven, that's why they don't feel worthy. If they don't know they're even a sinner and need forgiveness, it's probably because they haven't ever seen God. And if they haven't seen God, they don't know that He's holy and they're unholy and they even need Him. So it starts with an encounter, a personal relationship, contact somehow with God where you say, God, show me who you are and who I'm not. And once you see God for who he is and you see yourself for who you are, or who you're not, then you say, God, I'm in trouble. I need your forgiveness. You find out that Jesus died for you, was buried and raised from the dead to make this forgiveness possible. Then you appropriate that forgiveness in your own life. Once you've been forgiven, now you've got something to go tell somebody. You've got something to go be sent over. A lot of people I talk to have nothing to go tell anybody. I know some of you are unstoppable when it comes to sharing your faith Going out there, you'll talk to anything that moves almost. Even if it's not moving, you'll talk to it every once in a while. But these people that will just boldly, unashamedly, just passionately share their faith at the drop of a hat anywhere, anytime, in season and out, as the Scripture says. Why is that? People who have been forgiven a lot usually have a lot to share about and are more prone to share that with somebody else when given the opportunity. People who don't really know God that well, don't know who He is, don't know who they are, that He's really done any great shape. I mean, if nothing's happened for you, I mean, I'll tell you right now, this flu, if somebody walked in my house and had some kind of antibiotic shot 
and gave me a shot and one minute I feel bad and the next I feel great, I'd be grateful. I'd be telling everybody I knew about the flu, I said, man, I got this doctor friend, you need to call him, he's got this shot, he can make you well in 20 minutes. I'd be the greatest evangelist for this doctor and his shot you've ever seen. Why? Because it's changed my life. Now, some of you say, well, that's happened to me. I used to be that kind of person. I used to share my faith. I used to be passionate about all this stuff. And I haven't talked to anybody in months about it. What happened? The devil comes back along and says, well, buddy, you, yeah, that may have all happened to you, but you're just a screw up again. Look at what a flake you've been today, the last week, the last month. You're just the same old person you used to be. Maybe you'll die and go to heaven, but you're a flake like you used to be. You can't talk to anybody. You've got nothing to share. Because anybody that knows you is going to hear what you're saying and go, well, what are you talking about? You live just like me. You've got a house and a life full of sin just like me. Why would I listen to you? And the devil shuts you down and shuts you up. It's not because you don't have the truth. It's not because you don't have anything to share or anything to be sent with or over. It's just you've been shut down because of the sin in your own life and the hypocrisy that you would feel if you opened your mouth. Now, I believe there are millions of Christians on the planet in this category. It's not that God doesn't love them. It's not that they don't love God. It's not that something awesome has not happened in their life. They just got sucked back in. They got trapped by sin, deceived by the enemy, and they're back in the old ruts. How do you get out? You sit back down with God somewhere and you say, God, help me see you for who you are again, me for who I'm not, and help me appropriate this forgiveness I have experienced at one point in my life, and let's get this train back on the tracks. Let's do whatever it is. Now think about this a minute. What is it? Let's just go with this week. What is it, the sin, as the scripture talks about, that so easily besets you? What is it that's got you derailed again? The one thing that maybe has got you nailed time after time, but it's got you again now. The sin that so easily besets you. Everybody got it in your head. All right, is it the same old thing for the last week, for the last 30 years? How long are you going to let this sin destroy you? How many more weeks got to go by before you make it right? And is it possible right now, wherever you are, to say, you know what, God, enough is enough. I've confessed this sin to you a thousand times, maybe this week. And the devil says, we're well, just going to do it again. Why do you keep talking to God about this? Just go on and do it and make the best of it. And you say, you know what, God, enough's enough. I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to let gossip, lust, greed, pride, whatever it may be in your life, I'm not going to let this destroy my life. And I'm telling you again, if I have to do it over and over and over again until I'm sick of confessing it, God, I'm telling you I'm wrong. You're right. I confess this sin again. I want this train back on the traps. I ask you to return the joy of your salvation in my life and give me the power to live like I'm supposed to live and the peace to confirm that the relationship with you has been restored and that we are back on track. Guys, it is that simple. It's that fast. And you'd be amazed once you do that and have that conversation, how fast all of a sudden you hear God saying, okay, who's going to go for us? You say, send me, God. I'll go. I got something to talk about. You are surrounded with people, Christians and non-Christians, who don't have any hope. They don't have any answers. They don't know what they're going to do. They don't know where to turn. They don't really know that God can forgive them. And when you sit down and say, you know what, here's where I've been. Here's what I've done. Maybe your deal's adultery, uh, abortion. Maybe you're a thief. You're stealing from your employer, from the IRS, whoever it may be. Whatever your deal is, there are people out there saying, you know what, I've gone too far. And if they hear you share what Christ has done for you and in your heart and in your life, they say, wait a minute, well, if God can change your life, maybe he can change mine. If there's hope for you, maybe there's hope for me. 
And there's a story here I'm going to read you just a piece of. Paul has a similar experience that he's recounting to a king. And let's start with Acts 26, verse 13. And he says, At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and has ascended into heaven. And now he's appearing here. So it's another one of these theophanies where Jesus appears to Saul and says, I am Jesus. It's me you are persecuting, not all these people you think you're hunting down. But rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. So he selects Paul, calls out Paul here. And here's the intent for which he sends him, the purpose. Verse 18, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's what God sent Paul to do, and that's what he sends us to do now, today, at work, at home, to our neighbors, to our family. It's to open their eyes. Richard Ellis will return in a moment to wrap up today's talk with a few final words. But first, I want to share some important information about the program. The reason we do this is to share with you the good news. When you open your heart and life to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point of the most amazing journey you'll ever experience. But it's also a journey that we want to join with you. So if you've been on this road for a while or just getting started, let us know how we can help. Maybe you've got some questions, stuck in neutral, or even wondering how to take the next breath. We're here. Give us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us through our website, richardellistalks.com. We're here to celebrate with you, too. So if this program has made a difference to you and encouraged you in any way, tell us about it. Let's keep this conversation going by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also send us an email through our website, richardellistalks.com. That would really make our day to know how Richard's Talks have helped you. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or email us through the website richardellistalks.com. And speaking of the messages, you can find today's talk along with every message from Richard at our website richardellistalks.com. Finally, we really believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute to this ministry by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. We would be so grateful for your gifts. And Richard's back now to wrap up today's talk. Now the Bible describes someone who doesn't know Christ, who doesn't have a personal relationship with God through Christ. He says that they are not just feel bad, they are dead. There are people out there that when you see and sense things going on spiritually, they don't see any of it. They don't get any of it. Why? They're as dead to it as a dead man is to life itself. They can't see it. They can't hear it. But there are people I've discovered who are Christians who feel spiritually like I have physically all week. They're barely alive. 
They're just hanging on. They don't have the strength to make it but a little bit day by day. And they don't have to live this way. We've gone over that. How do you do it? You confess your sins. Jesus says that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as bad as it is to be physically sick and feel weak, it is a nightmare to be dead. And it says here that Paul was sent to open their eyes. Let's read it again together. Because look at how this identifies what people are going to. To open their eyes. They're blind. They can't see. In order to turn them from darkness to light. People without Christ, without a spiritual relationship with God, literally walk around in the dark. It's like going home today, closing all your windows, your blinds, your shutters, get it pitch dark in there, and then try to live in that environment. Spiritually, that's how people feel and live. So he sent them to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Another place talks about death to life. Literally your eyes being opened, darkness to light, the power of Satan to the power of God, death to life. It's a completely different change in a person's life. Isaiah experienced it. Paul experienced it. And it's the same thing that you and I must experience that we've got to share with other people how they can experience and be the ambassadors, be the ones who say, God, I've experienced this. I have this. Now use me. Send me. If you're looking for somebody to send, send me. I'm willing. I'm available. I'll do it. Thanks for tuning in today to Richard Ellis Talks. With the busy schedule everyone has these days, it means the world to us that you would take this time to listen. Let us know how it has touched your heart by calling us at 855-6-RICHARD. You can also connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. One last thing, Richard Ellis Talks is a daily program, but also has daily costs. And being a listener-supported program means we rely on the financial partnership of our listeners, which means you. Maybe you've given to this ministry before or have waited for the right time. Well, we believe that these talks with Richard are making a difference in your life. So this is how you can make a difference to ours. You can contribute by giving us a call at 855-6-RICHARD or at our website, richardellistalks.com. Thank you for your very generous gifts. It truly means so much to us. God bless and thanks for listening to Richard Ellis Talks. Richard Ellis Talks.